Thank you for listening to the GSC Podcast. The following audio was recorded at the 2022 Gathered and Scattered Conference at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Detroit, Michigan. My name is Aaron Carr, and I just want to say, first of all, I realized John has a real good sense of humor. Uh, first of all, I thought I had 55 minutes, and I found out it's 15 minutes, so I've cut a lot back. And secondly, um, I realized that Kevin DeYoung spoke on the fact that we do not build the kingdom, but we receive it, and John asked me to speak on strategy. So this should be fun. One of the things I just want to say as we start is to think through the idea of the call to have a plan, the call to strategize. Anything we do in the church is best done with a plan, some type of structure. I know that there are many Calvinists in the room, and as a Calvinist myself, we faithfully hold to what the Bible teaches and that regarding the sovereignty of God covers every aspect of our life. The book of Proverbs speaks to this in chapter 16, verse 9, where it says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. It clearly in that verse describes the fact that the Lord does indeed establish the steps, but I would still want to draw your attention to the fact that the text does encourage that the heart of man is to plan. In 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul himself said all things should be done decently in order. As a Presbyterian, as surrounded by many Presbyterians in this room, we have a great affinity for order. We have, in fact, a whole book of order. We have an order of government, an order of worship, an order of discipline. We understand that we're to aim small, miss small. And yet, when we think about the importance of a plan, I want to give you two illustrations. The first illustration I want you to think about is about Old Princeton. By the early 1800s, the Presbyterian Church realized its need for a better way to develop pastors. So a committee was established to investigate the option. I know that surprises you that Presbyterians would form a committee, but they did. And the idea was to search out what is the best way to develop pastors. By the time of 1810, the General Assembly assembled, and the committee was led by Dr. Samuel Miller. After much investigation, much study, the time came for the committee to give its report. I want you to hear the words of the committee. The the committee that was assembled to create a school said this, we need to create a place for learned and able minister, both with real piety. The committee then called the assembly to this pledge. It said that in forming a seminary, it should endeavor to make it a nursery of vital piety, as well as a place of sound theological learning, and that it would train up men for the ministry who would be lovers and defenders of truth. After that committee report was given, it was approved by the assembly 
that therefore they should move forward with this. And so they formed yet a second committee. This committee was made up of six individuals, which included Ashbel Green and Archibald Alexander. They were given the task to draw up the plan for the future of the seminary. A year later, in 1811, the General Assembly met yet again, and the plan for Princeton was revealed. Listen to the statement regarding the plan. The purpose of the seminary would be to provide an adequate supply and succession of able and faithful ministers who truly believe and affectionately love the confession of faith, the catechisms, and the polity of the Presbyterian Church. That plan was accepted by the 1811 assembly, and then a year later, the assembly voted to approve the location of the seminary, which would be Princeton, New Jersey. Finally, a board of educations was then approved, which was consisting of 21 ministers and nine ruling elders, and lastly, the first professor of the seminary was selected, which was Archibald Alexander. Presbyterians and Reformed are known to plan. Even though we're Calvinists, we understand the importance of a plan. The second illustration I'd like to give you is a story from my own heart. The church I now serve is nearly 120 years old. I stand on the shoulders of all those who went before me. I serve as the 20th senior pastor. Our church existed when the Wright brothers took to flight, when Teddy Roosevelt was president. Our church had seen the wars of World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, the Gulf Wars, the fight against terrorism. We survived the Great Depression, bell bottoms, and even the invention of the internet. Our church has a long and faithful history of supporting missions. Yet over time, like many older churches, we slowly turned into a church that simply wrote checks. And to be totally and absolutely transparent with you, after a simple investigation, it was discovered that we were in fact supporting some individuals and some groups that did not even share our own theological convictions. After becoming the pastor, the elders and I began a task of drafting a plan to realign ourselves to biblical faithfulness regarding the gospel and the mission. We began by implementing in that plan we began to look around and, and notice what was going on in our own neighborhoods, what was going on in our own Judah, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, in the other parts of the world. We began to pay attention to where the needs were. We then sought ways to get involved in church planting because we believed that the church is God's instrument of witness to the world. Slowly, we began to make an investment in church planting by supporting financially gospel-centered church plants. We did this by simply realigning our own budget for missions. Then we began to take the responsibility more seriously, and we began to analyze how we could mature planters. We began to think through church plant residencies and theological training. We did this in the hopes that we, a 
a church that was planted in 1903 would begin to be involved in multiplying churches. Friends, I stand before you and tell you that the plan of Princeton became near and dear to our own elders. See, we too desired to provide an adequate supply and succession of able and faithful ministers who truly believe and affectionately love the confession of faith, those who truly love the catechisms and even love the polity of the Presbyterian church. So we began to set out by recruiting and training and sending. This task seemed bigger than you could imagine. We were only a church of about 300 at that time. But as we began to set out, we began to think about what is it that would help us to recruit well? Well, we always began with a look right in our own communities. We believed in the benefit of indigenous planters. We began to say that why can't God raise up individuals who are already in local churches, local neighborhoods, who believe the gospel? What was it if we went and brought the gospel power to them in the sense of theological training and equipping and tooling? And so we began to explore what that training would look like. As any good Presbyterians, we had three points. They all started with E. First was to expose our trainees to ministry. Second, it was to educate them towards ministry. And thirdly, it was to help them experience ministry hands-on. We did this in a variety of ways. We did this through pre-assessments, one-on-one mentorships, cohorts, and partnerships with local seminaries like Knox and Westminster. We began to really explore what it looked like to train residents in their own neighborhoods so they could reach the very people they were raised by. Our residents preach regularly on Sunday nights. And to help with that, we actually spend time in their preparation as well as providing a review of their preaching. We did this because we truly believed that it was our job to be involved in an adequate supply of succession of able and faithful ministers. All of our residents are required to assist in hands-on ministry. They're required to recruit and train others. Our residents are are given the responsibility of participating in cohorts which focus on practical and theological aspects where they're sitting side by side with other pastors and planters. We leaned heavily upon assessments as part of our training. As our final project for every resident, they're to present a prospectus, which is their business plan upon the completion of the residency. This development took time. This development took purpose, intentionality. And the goal all along was to send them. And so in seeking to send our residents, we partnered with them. We helped them through the ordination process as much as possible. We help them with funding and connecting with other churches and networks. As I wrap up, I just want to share another brief story with you. I grew up in a home where my dad was a builder. My dad could make anything. He built furniture, hutches, cabinets, you name it, he built it. But here's the thing. My dad did all of this in his own mind. He never mapped anything out. He simply created what he built. 
People were always amazed by what my dad was able to do. In fact, it was truly amazing. But the downside was no one was able to help him. Sure, there were four boys in the house, and you might even see us at times holding a board here or helping with a tape measure there, but we never really could help because we didn't understand the plan. It was in his head. Friends, that made it hard because we couldn't see what was in his mind. And the truth of the matter is, unfortunately, his creations died with him. Friends, that's what happens in a lot of churches regarding mission. A talented pastor or planter comes in and creates, but nobody can help, and soon the pastor feels all alone. It's because they're feeling they're doing the work of the ministry by themselves when the reality is it's only in their mind. They create and they go, but no one's able to buy in. Friends, if I can encourage you, it's important to have a plan. That plan brings clarity. That plan brings support. That plan brings unity. I've personally experienced what it is for a church to have a plan and to see that plan come to fruition as elders and ministers and lay people work side by side. The greatest victory of our church was one meeting for the congregation where the budget was approved. And as we were sitting in the meeting, I saw one of the oldest members step forward. And I thought, oh boy, here it goes. Because we're talking about church planting, I'm sure something here is going to be challenged. But what words came out of his mouth were, I see the church budget line item. Why is it not more? That's when I realized our church truly believed in the plan. Friends, I share all this with you not to say that you need to do what we do at First Prez, but I'm truly asking you what is the plan for your church? What is your plan to mature disciples? See, having a plan is of the utmost importance. It brings clarity, it brings support, and it brings unity. We all need to aim small so we miss small. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am thankful for those you've allowed us to stand on the shoulders who went before us. I thank you for the guidance and support that each of us has experienced by others who've poured into us. But Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be busy doing things haphazard, but that we would be intentional, that we would be purposeful, that we would have a plan. And all the while, may we rest in your sovereign hand knowing it is you who's in control. It's you who's in charge. And that should give us great encouragement. For you will build your church. We simply receive it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said. We hope and pray this content was encouraging for you. For more information about our annual conference, visit us online at RedeemerDetroit.com.